So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. I'm so honored and glad and excited that you're here with me today. So we have a great little podcast. I've got a couple topics, some teaching topics that I want to present on today that I think you're going to find real valuable and they're going to be some really golden nuggets. So pay attention uh, because this thing, what we're going to talk about today has to do with really operations and how you should do some things and what you should expect and um, really how to make money in this business. And, you know, the multifamily game has been um, such a blessing. And to think that I started uh, almost 10 years ago, um, the journey to multifamily apartments. And, you know, I get to live a lifestyle, a, a, a a way of living that most will never ever truly experience. And so the fact that you're paying attention to this podcast tells me something about yourself is that you wanna get out of the rat race. And you know, I used to think that it was done through single family homes and it's not. Um, I've made a good living uh, flipping and selling and wholesaling single family homes, but I created a lifestyle by doing multifamily apartments. I became a multimillionaire doing multifamily homes. I have cash flow uh, and, and lots of it that shows up each and every month because of multifamily. So in my, uh, you know, people always ask me, Corey, shouldn't I start with single family and get really good uh, before I transfer to multi? And I don't think you, I don't think you have to. I really don't. I think that you can start from multifamily like right away and and really just start working on those skill sets because it is a totally different language. It's a totally different animal. The way you underwrite is totally different. It's it's a complete different game than the single family small game. And uh, it's a lot funner to play big and, um, and challenge yourself. And why not? Because like, listen, in this, in this game, this life, you know, I always say swing for the fences. My dad taught me a a long time ago to swing for the fences. And it's okay if you strike out. Strike out is part of learning. And you will learn, okay? So uh, before we get started, though, I want to give a couple shout outs to um, some people that went on to iTunes and left some five-star reviews. So the first one goes out to Jacob Salem. Uh, Jacob says, the Multifamily Legacy Podcast is full of amazing content. Highly recommend everything Corey brings to the table. 
Man, Jacob, thanks so much, brother. I appreciate those comments. And honestly, it really does jazz me up. I got another one from uh, Laura Wells. Laura says, this podcast is for anyone who wants to shorten their learning curve in investing and prevent mistakes along the way. Entertaining too. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad that I can entertain the crap out of you guys. And, you know, I just have fun. You know, I started this podcast almost a year ago with the idea that I wanted to give back. I wanted to bring my energy, my excitement for life, my excitement for uh, playing the game, to, for playing Monopoly. You know, as a young kid, me, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, we would get together and we would play Monopoly. I never forgot. Like, how you made real money in Monopoly was not from those small little greenhouses. You made all the money when you had the nice red hotels, or what I call apartments now, right? You want those apartments. They get a lot more rent. And so, uh, you know, playing Monopoly in, in the real world, and it's such a pleasure. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun game to play. So, again, hey, if you guys would do me some favors, really, I, I, I mean this sincerely, take the time to get on and go on to iTunes and leave me a review and tell me what you think about my podcast because and I'll give you a shout out. I'll try to give everybody a shout out because uh, I really do enjoy it. I really enjoy hearing that I bring value to you, the listener, right? And, and it really does make, it, it makes a difference, right? It tells me that I'm doing a good job. So uh, with, with that said, couple other announcements. Um, we have finally uh, took in the time, taken the time to really put down some, uh, some training. And we just finished our RPM course, Raising Private Money course, RPM. And dude, it is amazingly good. Like I, I'm I, my team. My team knocked it out of the park. So we created um, a process, a learning tool, uh, or basically a a website uh, where you can get onto and learn all things private money. Right. This is a course. It's an online course. You have uh, access to it twenty four seven. But we've chunked it up into nice, easy 10 to 15 minute modules with all the supporting docs. And so I highly recommend if you are thinking about raising private money and raising private money, if you guys have listened to this podcast enough, you know that that's my number one thing, right? It's what I'm the best at. And I am actually, I mean, I feel like I'm giving away this course. I wanted to give away my best, best stuff super cheap. So you can go to uh, raisingprivatemoney.com and for $5.97, you can get a game changer course. And I mean, it's a game changer. I give you everything in that course. I show you the words, I give you the scripts, I give you the tools, um, I show you where to find private money, where it hangs out, how to attract it, what to say, what to do, how to set up your first appointment. Um, we have rolled out the red carpet, and I, I'm, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of that work, and I think that you will find it very um, powerful. And, and I want to hear about it changing your lives, okay? 
Um, the next thing, little, last little piece of housekeeping, is that we do have a Facebook group page called the Multi Family Legacy Podcast and Facebook page. So um, if you have questions or anything like that, go on to there and interact, and I, I'll be uh, I'll be uh, snooping on that thing to make sure that I uh, I pop in to answer questions. My team monitors it as well, but uh, I feel like I'll, I'll come in there and definitely give some value. Um, we may even do some special training on there, so make sure that you like the Multifamily Legacy Podcast and become part of that group. And so with that said, let's get started. So what I want to talk about today is one of the things that I do every time that I get ready to buy a property. And when we're in, like, we, you know, now we've, we've got a property under contract, we're about ready to... Uh, start raising private money, um, I want to talk about opening bank accounts. And you're like, well, Corey, that's not hard. It's not. It's not. You're right. It's not hard. But I want to talk about our process of how we do it and how many accounts you, sh you should open. See, we believe that when we open up an account for our main property LLC account, we open up five of them. You're like, Corey, why do you need five accounts? Well, let me tell you. You need five accounts because, A, I said so, but B, um, because there's a methodology. So the five accounts that you must have when you open up a um, multifamily deal is, number one, is you got to have an operating account, okay? Your operating account is where uh, all your money from all the rents, that's where it, may, it goes. It's the first place your money hits, Okay. The next one is a capital improvement account, okay? Your CapEx account. That is money that when you, for, when you close, when you're raising private money, you tend to raise money for CapEx, right? And so when you close, you're going to make sure that uh, you put and, and divvy up all the money that's supposed to go to your CapEx. You're going to move it and transfer it into your CapEx account, Okay, um, the next account that you have is your security deposits. Okay, so your security deposits are where you're going to put, you know, all the security deposits from the when you when you close, you're going to get a credit from the seller, and you need to take that credit and transfer your monies into the security account. Okay, you keep that sole and separate, and you never co-mingle. Right, number four. It's for your escrows, right? A lot of times um, you'll have to escrow either taxes or insurance or something like that. And um, you want to make sure that you, you're setting that money aside each and every month, right? You budget for it. And the last account that you have, the number five, is your um, owner distribution account. Now, why would you want to have an owner distribution account set up? Well, because you have to budget for your profitability. So typically what I do is when we are doing our P&L and our performa and we're projecting what we're going to make and how we're going to run the property, we'll say, A, how much does it cost to pay our capital each and every month? In other words, how much do we need to take to make our investors whole? And we'll figure out that month, that uh, how much that is. 
And then I'm also going to say, well, how much does Corey Peterson, how much are we supposed to truly make off the deal? And I don't want to keep it super tight, but I got to get myself a guarantee of how much I make. And so we add the two together, and on a monthly basis, we automatically set up sweeps, right, or transfers from our main operating account that transfers our profit to the owner distribution account. We do the same thing for your escrow money, right? So whatever escrow money that you're supposed to escrow each and every month, you're going to set up an automatic transfer to get that money into that account. Now, this is like vital stuff. And I, I've learned it from, um, from I, you know, I didn't do it in the beginning. I absolutely do it now. So everybody write this down or, or ingrain it in your mind that you want to budget for your profitability. You have to do it. Because if you don't, like when money's in a operating general account and people see it, meaning like your management company or owner uh, or the, the maintenance person or anybody that's looking at that account, they have a tendency to want to spend it. And you don't want to do that. You won't want them thinking you've got lots of money left over. You want to take that money and you budget and, and you sweep it over. Now, what I typically do at the end of every quarter, because we pay our investors quarterly and I pay myself quarterly, right? So we, we, we pay ourselves every quarter. And so every quarter, we'll go back and look at the account uh, in our main operating. We'll see how much money is left over because we're sweeping money every month for profitability. And then we'll say, okay, here's a base dollar amount that we always want to keep in the uh, property, right? And so we tend to go towards the middle of the month is when we, when we look at this amount. And let's say we want it to be $50,000. We always want to have a low balance of at least $50,000 in our operating account. So if we have $100,000 there on the middle of the month, then we're going to look at it and say, hey, I think we can uh, sweep another $50,000 into our owner distributions. Now, I work with my management company to make sure that we don't have any accounts payables to, to before, we, before I actually do that. But we believe in budgeting for profit. And a lot of times, you will out uh, over, overdo or outperform your budget. So you'll have more money and profitability there. And so we want to take that every quarter, right? So very important process for that. You know, Dave Ramsey teaches this. He does it with the envelopes, right? We just do it with bank accounts. We make sure that we have our operating money, our capital improvement money. So then when, when we're spending big ticket items from our CapEx for CapEx projects, then that money goes in uh, from the CapEx and we sweep it back into the operating agreement or operating account. And dude, that I'm telling you right now, that those two things right there, just like, budgeting for profit and then with your uh, operating money, like your CapEx, you know, having it over here to the side so, so it doesn't get commingled, very, very, very important. And because it also lets your management company know how much money is setting aside for really, truly CapEx projects. And because it's when, if it's in the general accounting, it gets lost. It, it doesn't compute and it's not easily seen. And, and if it's not seen, it will get spent in other ways. And so uh, those are five, 
five big five accounts that you got to have opened up, and um, you know, uh, most like Bank of America, they give you four accounts for free, um, and you can if you if you know them well, they'll give you a fifth one, right? So they'll give you a fifth one for your property to run your property um, smoothly, and I highly highly recommend that you do it this way. Um, so that's that's the first nugget that I want to give you is the five bank accounts. A lot of people don't even know that that's that's what you should do. I'm just telling you right now, that is the correct way. If you're talking to a management company and, and they don't want to do that, make them. I'm telling you, just make them, right? Or they can't do business with you because always remember who the owner is. It's you. It's me, right? I'm sitting there talking with some uh, guys the other day and they're like, well, you know, can I call this or can I, can, you know, can I, I don't want to jump on anybody's feet. Or, you know, jump over somebody. And I'm like, listen, you're talking to me. I'm the owner. And I'm giving you permission to do what you need to do to move our ball along. And so just always remember that you dictate, you know, what's going to go on. And if a management company or someone else doesn't get that, then maybe they're not the right one. So there's a reason and methodology. Now, you can hear them out, but I think... Your, you know, what I'm teaching you here is some basic guiding principles to make sure that they are not, you got to hold people accountable. You just have to. And so that's a good way to hold your management company accountable is by having separate bank accounts. You can pull them all up. Um, you know, Bank of America, you get on their phone app and you can have them all right there so you can easily see what's going on. And that's important. So, you know, information, knowledge is power. So the other thing, so this is... Um, I want to talk about what we just did on one of our properties uh, in, in the student housing world. Um, so this is a student housing um, nugget is overleasing. Okay, now we didn't quite actually overlease. We didn't sign physical leases. But, you know, the school year is so vitally important when you're in student housing to get all your pre-leases, to get people to agree that they're going to move into that unit when school starts. And we start that process very, very early. And so we came up with the idea that, hey, listen, we want to be 100% full. When school starts, we want to make sure that we're 100% full. And to do that, because here's what happens in student housing, at least in the type of student housing that we own, where we're, we're renting things out by the room. And so usually, typically, we have four bedrooms to one unit. And so that's four personalities, four people that have to get along. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Susie doesn't like Cindy, and Cindy and Susie go at it, and it's not pretty. Um, or, or, you know, you can use John and, 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 and Blake or something. I don't know, right? <laughs> but they're not, it's all not well in paradise and you know they're gonna go to go to blows, and so you got to get rid of one of them, and you were, or one of them says, "I'm I'm done, I'm I quit." It happens, okay. So what we did this leasing season is we overbooked, just like the airlines. And I can't remember if I've already talked about this in a, in a previous podcast because I wrote it down on a note that I I wanted to make sure. So if I'm repeating myself, forgive me. But listen, you got to pay attention because this is gold. We pre-leased and over-leased this property. And dude, um, we are at 100%. Now, when we first came into this property, we thought we were going to budget $178,000. This is um, a property that I own called Eagle Village in Evansville, Indiana. 
And so we initially underwrote the income at 175 per month. This month, right, coming in September, we will probably do $215,000 in income. That is huge, my friends, right? That's like $35,000 extra dollars that we were not planning on coming in. And it's because we overexceeded what our budget was, um, what our vision was. And um, we, we asked ourselves, can we stay truly at 100% occupancy? Now, first of all, this goes back to like management 101. If you do not, if you, well, think about anything in life, okay? If you do not believe that it can happen, it will never happen. Right? I didn't buy my first apartment complex until I believed that I could. And if a management company doesn't believe in a 100% occupancy and staying there, then it'll never happen. Now, we tend in our management company, in our process, right? we believe in 100%, and it happens more often than not. You have to believe and your staff have to believe that it's achievable and that it's sustainable. Now that's different, right? Sustainable. Is 100% occupancy sustainable? It absolutely is. I'm telling you right now, we live it at our properties all the time. I've got another property, um, Forest Wood Apartments in Sladell, Louisiana. We're either 98% occupied or 100, and the only that 8%, that 2% is one stinking unit. <laughs> so sometimes we're 100, and sometimes we're 98. It's usually never anything less than that. Why? Because we believe in it. See, when you believe that you can achieve it, and you can, and you start, and you have the team, everybody's doing the same thing to provide good work. Your maintenance man, they have pride in, in staying fully full. Um, they want to do the work to retain your uh, tenants, and they, they take care of all the deferred maintenance on time. They do the repairs when your tenants ask. Man, that is how you stay very flush with my favorite word, cash flow, right? And cash flow is king, dude. And, you know, you should be getting some of that. So, you know, by making sure that you overbook on a student, a student housing lease up for the school season, you can ensure that when, when Susie and Sally or whatever uh, go to blows or John and, 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 and John and John or whatever, John and Blake, um, and one of them moves out, you have a waiting list. So we created a waiting list. So once we had it fully booked up, what we did is we didn't get pre-leases, but we had them sign something where they put a deposit down and saying, hey, I want to be in. I want to be in. Like, let me know if something becomes available. Now that is powerful, right? And so we've got about 10, 10 people deep right now in you know what's gonna happen. And right now we, we don't have any issues, but you know what? Tomorrow could be another day. So it could happen. But by making sure your full occupancy, because most companies believe 95% is good, right? They're like, if we can say 95, we are rocking it. But I'm gonna tell you something. That last 5%, that last 5%, is pure, unadulterated profit. It's profit. And it can be 
putting it in your pocket, in your bank of your account, right in the back. Why wouldn't you go want, why wouldn't you want it? And why wouldn't you like bonus management and your staff to achieve it? See, when when our team, when, when someone hits 100%, it is a big deal. Everybody gets notified. I notify uh, the man. I'll call the managers. I'm, I'm like, hey, man, the owner's calling. He wants to congratulate you on being a true boss, like an owner. Like, I'm. you're a big deal. And I'm letting you know. And I'm going to let them know that they are a big deal. See, a lot of times people will do things more for recognition than they will do it for the money. See, recognition is important. We, we actually hire with people with those types of traits where recognition is very high on their ladder, right? It's, it's very high on their, like, what motivates them? Recognition. We want people that want to be recognized because we like to recognize. And we also pay them, too. So if you pay them and you recognize them, your staff, well, then there's a culture that starts developing. And see, we have that culture and you can have it too. You have to, but you have to believe, right? It starts with the belief. And and most management companies, a lot of times they don't believe in 100%. They'll tell you. And I, I remember my first property I ever bought, the first management management company that I ever, fi- well, I had to fire them like the first month in the job. I remember talking to him, and this was my um, Lionsgate property in South Carolina. It's my first property that I ever bought. It's one that I made $4.7 million on. But when we first bought it, there was this company in, in Greenville, South Carolina, and they were the local management company. And he was like, well, you know, that that property, uh, you know, uh, Lionsgate, you know, it, it has a reputation. It's got a reputation. So that's going to be kind of tough to mess with. and um, But, yeah, we think we can do it. We think we can do it, you know. And um, now, at that point in time, to let you know, full disclosure, I wasn't calling all the shots. After that month, I called all the shots because I knew right from those words. When he said those words, I, I mean, my mouth dropped and hit the ground. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You can't tell me for certain that you can get this property leased up, why in the hell do I hire you? Now, at that time, I didn't have full voting right control over this property. The next month, I did. I actually bought out one of my uh, one of the partners so I could get full voting right control of the property and make the decisions because they were not. They just weren't. They weren't paying attention. And listen. You know, the local guys are always great, you know, whatever, if they're good. See, if they're good, you you got to you gotta be able to realize when people are good or not. And it starts by asking lots of situational questions. Like, guys, we know there's drugs on this property. How are you going to overcome that? How are we going to change that? How are we going to get rid of it? And they kept on saying, well, it's going to take probably a little longer. Uh, you know, it does have a little bit of a reputation. And so the, that was their belief pattern, right? It's a belief pattern. And um, gosh, I mean, I remember, so this is a funny story. I'm getting ready to sell that property in two, last year, 2017. And I remember calling and um, my the brokers who 
knew that I had bought it like six years before 2011. And I was like, hey guys, I'm thinking about selling the property. And like, oh, they're like real excited. They're like, that's good, Corey. That's that's awesome. And I said, uh, well, and they're like, what do you what do you think you want to sell it for, Corey? And I go, man, guys, I believe I can sell it for about $8.8 million. And all of a sudden on the phone, I could I could feel their demeanor change. They're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, you know, Corey, well, you know, we will try to do our best. You know, we will try to do our best. And I and that, you know, I don't know, that's that's a lot of money for that property. And they were already trying to coach me that, Corey, you may not get that. And I said, no, 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 guys, guys, listen, listen. I, I truly believe, like, I'm not interested if I don't sell it for anything, if it's not about eight for eight, $8.8 million. I said, I believe we have the financials to, to make it happen. I go, let me do this. Let me let me just send you the last uh, couple years of financials. Can I just do that? And then, and then call me back and let me know what you think. So I sent it to him. Now, the very next day, man... Oh, this felt so good. Let me tell you, <laughs> this felt so damn good when he called me up, Tony Batatati from South Carolina, Greenville, when he calls me up, actually, no, it was Kay Hill. Kay calls me up and she goes, Corey, man, I got your numbers and, you know, they look really, really good. Oh my, I can't believe what you've done to the property. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm telling you right now, that was such a special day because someone who saw me, well, that was my first product, like, oh man, Corey has no experience. And, and they were talking to me like I didn't have any experience really when I was going to sell it until they saw my perfect financials for the last two years. And, dude, our stuff's lined up, and it's tight. It's tight. And I'm telling you, man, I just, I felt like their jaw dropped open. They're like, wow, oh, my gosh. And like, they were surprised at the amount of money we were making at Lionsgate. And immediately they said, Corey, I think we may have a buyer for this. And sure enough, they did. And Tony Baditati and um, Kay... Hill from Greenville, South Carolina, brought the, the buyer to uh, my, my property, Lionsgate, Lionsgate Apartments in South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, we made a hell of a deal. And they got paid, and I got paid, and um, man, but that just goes to show you that the power of your belief is everything. And see, sometimes people, people are not always going to believe you. Especially when you're starting out in this game of, of multifamily. If you're just starting out and you are a little bit worried or a little bit nervous, hey, it's okay. Don't sweat it. Um, you know, I was nervous when I first started. I said a lot of things. I screwed up a lot, right? That's part of the process. Don't ever, don't ever sweat it, right? Just go out and swing for the fences. You know, sometimes you'll make mistakes. That's okay, right? But if you, as long as you don't quit, as long as you keep moving forward. And then really, that's all I've done in my whole career is I never let myself get too down. I always stay positive. I always believe that, I mean, Corey, no matter what, I know you have a powerful mind, Corey. You can achieve it. Just keep on. Don't quit. Don't quit. And I never have. And see, that is the success formula.
is learn. And sometimes you have to educate yourself. Now, for me, I've always been trying to educate myself, find good mentors, find people that have done it, pay, you know, buy their courses, learn their systems, find out exactly what they're doing. And um, that, that really helps. That will, that will shorten your learning curve. So like raising private money. If you want to learn how to raise private money, you got to go get my Raising Private Money course, raisingprivatemoney.com. You, you'd be stupid not to, right? Because I'm telling you, I've raised a lot of money. And, I, and I've had people that raise money come uh, to my boardroom event and listen to me teach it. And they're like, wow, I've never, I've never seen it that way. Because not only do I raise private money, but I raise private money at a good cost. That is genius, my friends, right? I don't overpay for my cost of capital because I understand the money game. So why wouldn't you want to start there? So again, I'm not trying to like just sell my course here on my podcast. This is where I give all my good free stuff, right? And, and, I, and if you listen to all my stuff in the very like first five, six episodes, I, I really dial it in. I give you everything, right? I'm just more detailed in the, uh, the Raising Private Money course. But my hope is that you know, if you're listening to this right now, just, just if you're not driving, close your eyes and envision your life, we'll call it five years from now. But five years from now, you've, you've made a decision to buy an apartment every year. That's all you want to do is just buy, I want to buy one apartment every year. And I went out and for the first six months, all I did was talk to people and got everybody to raise their hand for private money. I get them all to say, Corey, if you find a deal like that, I want to invest with you in it, right? I, I'm interested in that. And I, I did it, and I, I oversubscribed to what I thought I needed. So I thought I was going to need, you know, $3 million. So, and I, so I got $6 million worth of commitments from people. And I spent six to seven months doing that. And then I spent another six months, you know, six months, five months, whatever, finding a good deal. And I was able to close and do my first deal and, and raise the private money and do my first deal. Imagine that. Imagine how that would feel to say, man, I own a 100-unit apartment complex. And then imagine doing it each and every year for five years. And then when that five year comes up, right, that you're, it's time to sell that property and you sold it and you made a crap ton of money. And now you had a lot of money to go invest in another multifamily deal. And you're making cash flow along the way. And after five years, you don't ever have to work again, ever, if you don't want to. Like, that is the life that I'm talking about. That's the life. That's the life that you can have with multi-family apartments. Guys, listen, I'm going to wrap this up. But I just know, I know your mind is such a powerful, powerful thing. And most people screw it up. I mean, honestly, gosh damn, most people screw it up. Most people let their mind play tricks on them. Don't let that be you. Say, no way today. I'm not going to be a victim of stinking thinking. Don't let yourself go there. Say to yourself, I can and I will and I must. And I will do whatever it takes to be successful in this world because, you know what, being successful is a choice. It's an absolute choice. You start putting enough 
successful thinking patterns together and putting some work into it to start climbing the rungs, the ladder, to get out of whatever you're in, takes a lot of effort in the beginning, especially if you're stuck, takes even more. But once you start going, it becomes easier. It gets easier and easier and easier. And then you look up, you're like, dude, I'm living a pretty damn good life. In fact, I'm living a life right now that most will never, ever know. And I want to share it with you. I want you to have everything that I have. I'm telling you. I, if you don't have what I, like, it is so dang fun. So awesome. And you can have it. Because I believe, I truly believe this in my heart of hearts, that whatever you put your mind to, you can achieve it. Because guess what? When you put your mind to something, your paradise is possible.